Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, go ahead and stand with me if you would. I'm so glad you're here. You look so pretty this morning. I can't see you on the other side of the camera, but I'm sure you look pretty too. In your, in your pajamas. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe a bathing suit, right? First John chapter 5 verse 4 is where we're going to start at. So this morning we get to celebrate being an overcomer. All those who are found in God, we have the promise that we get to overcome. That means situations that we go through here on earth, but ultimately whenever we stand in the very presence of God and get to celebrate in heaven. Like Tanner puts this morning, I don't know, but I doubt it's going to be 108 in heaven. All right? So I can't wait for that. It's going to be more than 108 in hell, I can tell you that, but not in heaven. <laughs> All right, I know, hey, it's, yeah, just forget it. Okay, 1 John chapter 1, or 1 John, 1 John, you got me off, off topic now. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Now, it's very important for us to understand who's writing this. This is the Apostle John. This is the Apostle John who's lived his life longer than any other apostle. He took care of Jesus' mother. He's been dipped in all kinds of stuff, boiling tar. He's been put on an island of Patmos. I mean, there's been some things that happens, and homeboy just keeps on ticking, man. So whenever he says you can be an overcomer, he's not one that lived up in a palace in a cush life. He was one that was rejected. He was one that was pushed away, but he had the promise of, of Jesus that he could do it. And I better read Scripture. Y'all been standing for a while. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Amen. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Father, we love you. Thank you that we're overcomers. Oh, we get to live in your presence. Help us respond to your voice this morning. Change our lives, we pray, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Everyone says, amen. amen. You may be seated. Go ahead and wave at your neighbor. Yeah, we're a friendly church. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. It's certainly our pleasure. It's very important that as Christians we understand that we are overcomers. This is not just a position, but it is a title. It is a title that we have not earned except for we hide ourselves in Christ. That's what makes us an overcomer. And here John the Apostle is helping us understand that. Now, as we understand that we're an overcomer, that means we're going to have to fight through some stuff. There's going to be some resistance that comes up against us. The year is 1921. A man goes on vacation with his family. He's a famous politician. He's rising through the ranks, and he's building himself. After a long campaign trail, he decides that it's time to go on vacation. And he goes, celebrates vacation. He goes to bed one evening, and that evening he's running a fever, and he misses dinner, and he just goes straight to bed. What he doesn't realize is his life is about to change. He wakes up the next morning. He loses all feeling and all motion from his chest down. For multiple years, he goes into clinics and tries his best to be healed. But he comes to the understanding that this condition is going to be permanent. Now, we know that person, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Some of y'all don't know nothing about that, do you? Some of us do, though. <laughs> that was the 32nd president of the United States, FDR, Franklin Roosevelt. Diagnosed with polio at 39 years old. It wasn't until 11 years later that he became president of the United States. He had some things to overcome. He had some dreams that he wanted to accomplish. He had some things that he looked forward to, but he knew that he had to become an overcomer. Now, one thing that I don't want to do is promote FDR to the status of Jesus. He's just a man, and he had his faults and failures. 
But being diagnosed with polio and his life changing so early, he had to make up his mind that if he was going to do some of the things that were in his heart, he had to overcome. He lost all feeling and he lost muscle, uh, muscle use from his legs down. And every picture that you see him in, you see him sitting in a chair or he's being propped up by people. He had enough intelligence to take an old desk chair and put wheels on it. And then as you look at him in, in photographs, and they were not allowed to photograph him in the White House sitting in a chair. He always wanted to be standing. He always wanted to be a symbol of strength. Boy, that'd be nice if we had that in our White House today, wouldn't it? I'll leave that where it lies. There's some, but we could certainly do some more. But he didn't want to be anything less than what America deserved in his mind. Very intelligent. They said whenever he would prepare for speeches, he prepared over and over and over. But he never wanted to be wheeled across the stage, so instead, he had leg braces. He would walk with the cane, and people would help him on stage. They said he walked similar to somebody who would have been on parallel bars. He'd grab a hold of the podium, and boy, he'd let the audience have it. We know him as saying the great speech on the day that Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. This is the day that will live in infamy. He accomplished all of that, yet he had a disability. Some of the greatest accomplishments of his life was not only in the White House, but really to the community that are disabled, that have things that the world will look at and say, you can't accomplish this or you can't accomplish that. Instead, he took that and said, yes, I can. I've just got to figure out a different way to do it. And he inspired so many people, not only a nation, but so many people in the disabled community that they can achieve their dreams and they can do what's on their heart. But he had to overcome some things. Eleanor's wife wrote this, that this caused him to have enduring patience. He was, he was able to, this, because of his weakness, because of this disability, he was able to engage with people on a whole different level. He would look at people and feel and have empathy. But he had some overcoming to do. In Christianity, it's very simple and very easy to think that because we're called into God, because we've submitted our life, that everything's just going to be easy. That God's going to take care of it, that, that there, there won't be anything that I really have to fight, which is the absolute opposite of an overcomer. Can I get an amen? I mean, there's some things that I've got to overcome. There's some things that I've got to do. There's some dreams that God's put on our heart as a church and as people, and we have an enemy that wants to resist and push back, but we know we're overcomers, right? Yes, and that's what the Apostle John is saying. But we know to overcome, it takes work. It takes effort. It takes discipline. Lou Holtz, the National championship football coach in Division I. Six different times he took his teams to bowl games. Seemed like success followed him wherever he goes. This is what he says. He says, winners embrace hard work. They love the discipline of it, the trade-off they're making to win. Losers, on the other hand, see it as punishment. And that's the difference. What God is calling us to do with work and effort is not punishment. It's so easy to say, God, you're pushing me into a situation. What are you punishing me for? He's not punish, punishing us for anything. Instead, we were created for work. Adam, Adam had a job before he had a family. That's some good theology right there. Yeah. <laughs> he went around and did some stuff the Lord told him to do. It wasn't punishment. We were created for that. So whenever God is calling you to overcome, whatever God is calling you to overcome, there will be work, there will be effort 
And, and, and as an overcomer, we're called to win. And we don't look at those adversities as punishment. Many times it means we're doing the right thing in the right direction, and our enemy does not like it. We have to block out the influences that are around us because what we're influenced by is what will follow. 1776, January 19th, Thomas Paine publishes his Common Sense Pamphlet. Over 150,000 copies are just almost immediately sold in Europe and in America. 150, this is 1776. They've barely invented the pencil by now, you know? 150,000 copies. People begin to read it and begin to let it influence their thinking that they could be governed by themselves, that they didn't have to let a monarch rule, that they could be independent, and they could be their own nation. Many people who read that, who were in high positions with the monarch, with the government, they said, man, you're crazy. This is radical. Of course, Thomas Paine knew that. By the end of the Revolutionary War, over 500,000 copies were on market. They believed that over 500,000 copies were in America. There were only 2.6 million people in America at that time. In modern-day translation, that would have been, he would have sold over 60 million copies of his book. There's only a few books that have ever done that in history. But he relied on the motion, the emotion of anger. People really believed that they could govern themselves. They were tired of being taxed and told what to do by somebody who was over the pond, if you will, and didn't have any say-so. And people begin to let that influence them and begin to rise up from that. You and I have those same influences on our life. We have influences that tell us to go back to the chains, that tell us to go back and be ruled by Satan or ourselves. that tells us to go back and be ruled by the world. And just like they faced in the spiritual realm, you and I face the same thing, that we go back to one influence, and that's Christ. That's where true freedom lies. That's where I can lay everything down before him and be accepted as is. Oh, I will change and things will happen, but that's where I find true freedom. But we have to decide what influences are we going to tune out. How does Satan influence us? Because there's really three major influences that we have on our life. We have Satan. Ephesians chapter 6 says this about Satan, that he constantly throws fiery darts at us. But as we read that and we know the armor of God, what do we use to guard ourselves from those fiery darts? The shield of faith. What does John say about the shield of faith? That it's our victory. That our faith in Christ is our victory. So we stick up our faith as a shield and we hold to the promises of God. The enemy will throw fiery darts at us. The enemy will cause frustration and anger and doubt, but those things we are not led by. We are led by the promises of God because we are overcomers to those who are found in him. So I pick up my shield. When I lose my job, I pick up my shield. When things aren't working in my family, I, I pick up my shield. When there's some things in my body that's not really cooperating and I know the promises of God, I pick up my shield. But we know it doesn't stop there, does it? We know that there's an enemy of the world. Earlier in this book, 1 John, it's chapter 2, he talks about the world. And he says, listen, the world wants to take you down. Now, I'm paraphrasing here, but if you really read the, that they don't mess around with this stuff when they talk about sin and the world and wanting to destroy us. 
But he talks, he says, listen, that there's lust in the world and there's desires of the world and they mean to knock on your door and take over your body and take over your house and take over your family and you better be ready because the world ain't playing. The world is influenced by our great adversary, the devil. But there's one, one, one more that we have to concentrate on. It's ourself. Sometimes we just don't think we're good enough, don't we? You ever had a conversation with yourself and you left the conversation feeling worse than when you started it? <laughs> James talks about that in James chapter 3, verse 6. He talks about it and he says this. He's, excuse me, James chapter 3, verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James doesn't play around with this. He goes, listen, whenever you're relying on yourself and you're looking at yourself to find the answer, you're looking at yourself to be your guide, you're headed for disaster. Because whenever you find selfish ambition and envy, you're always going to find disorder and evil practice. What do we see whenever we see a bunch of confusion and a bunch of disorder? We know that evil is knocking on the door according to Scripture. That's the reason why preparation and organization is a good thing. That's the reason why Paul says, let it be done, but let it be done in order. Doesn't mean the Holy Spirit can't move. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit can't do things, but there's an order to how this happens. And James warns us, if we don't find ourselves in God and we're looking to ourselves, we're headed for destruction. We're going to settle into disorder and then that last one, evil practice oh that is so scary because theology turns into methodology turns into practice what i think is what i become and what i become i get really good at becoming that's the reason why we be killing sin or sin be killing us so my theology i take on the mind of christ and say how do you think not how I want to think or how I think I should think, but Christ, how would you think? What do you do? Put on the mind of Christ so that we can operate like he operates. And these enemies that we have are very, very real. And here John is helping us out. He's given us some clues about some things that we need. Now, as we go forward, I, this is going to be a simplistic message, but this is what I really feel was on my heart. This is going to be a very simplistic message, but I hope it encourages you. And we see that John chapter 1, verse 5 and 4, the first thing that he leads out with is position. We've got so much theology floating around, and people are being confused that there's only certain people that do certain things that are, look a certain way or whatever can get to heaven, and that is not what Scripture says. 1 John, chapter one, or 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone, for everyone. Do you see what he leads off with? For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now this everyone points back to the everyone in John chapter 5, verse 1. John chapter 5, verse 1 reads this. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ, or excuse me, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So let me take some pressure off. I don't know what kind of theology you may have been given. Pastor Mike and I were just at the table the other day and in offices, and we're discussing the many influx of people that we have. And we're excited to be a part of a growing church. We're going through the school. We're going through VBS. We're going through all kinds of things, and we're excited to be, about, be a part of that. 
but we want to encourage you that we don't know what background you came from, what you did before you got here, what you've been taught, but Scripture teaches us it's to everyone who will bow their knee and call Christ their king, who will follow him. It's not based off a demographic. It's not based off a place in the world. It's not based off the money we have in the bank or our education. It's anyone who says, Christ, you are my God, and salvation is found through you and you alone. Period. But you've got to make that decision. It's a decision that your mama can't make or your daddy can't make or aunts and uncles, it's what we make. And I've got to believe that when I come down to the altar and I ask Christ into my heart or in my car or whatever situation you're in, that I, I get, come down one way and I leave a new person. And we'll get to that here in a second. But it's for everyone. So if you're thinking, am I good enough? No, but join the party, none of us are good enough. But the good news is Christ knew that. That's the reason why he came and died on a cross for us. Rose again. See, Christ didn't die to make us better people. He died so we could be resurrected and be in the fullness of him. That's the reason why. So that we could truly be overcomers. Not just overcoming the things that, so easily, uh, that we so easily see in a materialistic world. Of course God wants us to have some control over our finances. Of course God wants us to have a great marriage and, 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 and be able to let the, the home be in proper order. That means parents run the home, not the kids, okay? Just in case anybody doubted that. Just some order like that. Of course God wants us to do all that. He wants us to be successful. But those are all downstream symptoms of what's really going on in our life and whether we're founded in Christ. Whether that's really, really, really where we're at. It doesn't mean that a marriage that's founded in Christ won't have problems. It just means that we can overcome. It doesn't mean that a business that's founded in Christ won't have decisions and problems and situations, but what it means is I can stand on the promise of God and know that I can be successful and I can overcome because I have the blessing that it's to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Look at your neighbor and say, everyone. Now look at them and say, good, we can move on now. <laughs> We've solidified that. It's for everyone. So in case anybody wondered, wondered for everyone. But we continue here, and he gives us some really important information. Christ willingly went to the cross, but there is a payment on our end. There is a cost. John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone, the verse continues, for everyone. Do I need to go back over everyone, or we got that? Everyone, okay, we got it, okay. For everyone who has been born of God. You see the cost? You see the payment? Overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. But everyone who has been born of God. There's this thing that I have to go through that I have to believe spiritually that when I give my heart to Christ, I am reborn. I'm regenerated. My spirit and my heart is regenerated. Now, before we go on to that and really dissect before that, let's talk about what being born again is not. Our culture we can get comfortable with ourselves, outside influences that would begin to tell us what it really means to be born again. But we want to look in Scripture, but before we do that, let's X out some things. What, what being born again is not, is it's not, listen to me, I love you guys, and I'm going to smile really big. It's not behavior modification. That's not what it is. 
It's not I can come into the house of the Lord and call myself a Christian and just slightly change the way that I do things. Even if we look at the Apostle Paul, he didn't slightly change the way he did things. He didn't quit dragging Christians out of their home and still arrest them. He didn't preach the way that he used to, but his life completely changed. It's not behavior modification. It's not coming in and saying, God, this is how I act, and I'm just going to slightly change this a little bit, and you'll be happy. It's saying, God, what do I need to change, period? What do I need to do different? And many times, because we think with the right mindset spiritually, we're going to learn a whole bunch of new stuff all at once. And that is the reason why we're here for you as a church, because we understand that. We understand that there's this uh, uh, a deep end of the pool and there's a shallow end of the pool. And we want everybody to be in the pool. But we understand as different places and the Holy Spirit reveals things what it's not. Sin management. It is not sin management. Being born again is not saying, God, I'm going to hang on to this thing that I know displeases you, that dishonors you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to tuck it away in a compartment and we'll just deal with that later. I'm going to continue on in it, but I know eventually we'll get around to it. That's not what it is. Being born again is saying, God, here's my life, and as you reveal things that I am doing wrong, I will change them and try my best to continue to change. Will I fail? Yes, that's what grace is for. But, but my work, my effort, my desire to change is what catapults me towards Christ. It's not walking that away. What it's not is worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow, the Scripture teaches us that it leads to what? Repentance. That means I do a 180. That means I change from where I was going to a new place. Worldly sorrow does this. I'm sorry because I got caught. <laughs> and I'm, so, I'm sorry because I have consequences now. If you've ever raised a kid, <laughs> you know about worldly sorrow. Are you sorry you hit your brother? No, I'm just sorry I got caught. That's what I'm mostly sorry about. <laughs> he deserved it. <laughs> I grew up with, three, with two brothers. But worldly sorrow will teach us that as long as you apologize for it and nobody's really hurt, then it's okay. Or, or, or once you get away from the consequences, once you get away from this position, just go back. God will understand. That's not godly sorrow. It's what, what being born again is not worldly sorrow. And then finally, listen to this last part. It's hell and the wrath of God. Being saved is having the promise that I know I'm not going to spend eternity in hell. And after some of the heat around here, that's a blessing. But it's also not just because I'm scared of the wrath of God. You can be scared of something but never surrender to the thing that's making you scared. Salvation, and I know you've heard this, salvation is not mere fire insurance, is it? It's not a fire escape. It is a relationship where I fall in love with my Creator. Well, I fall in love with the Son of God and I allow the Holy Spirit to lead God and direct me. But what it's not is it's not just I'm scared of the wrath of God, I'm scared of hell, so I'm gonna just say yes to Christ. You will say yes to Christ, especially once you read Scripture and you really feel, figure out what kind of damnation is coming to the earth and will be in the pits of hell. That, that's part of it. But that's not the only thing. 
I have to be born again. Just the knowledge of that's not enough. The story of Nicodemus, chapter 3 of John, verse 6, he's talking to a Pharisee. Jesus is having dialogue with a Pharisee and a Sadducee. Now, this is important because many times he looked at the Pharisees and he said, your father's the devil. So he knows who he's talking to. But the Pharisee Nicodemus is coming to him because he's really trying to understand what's going on. The only problem with Nicodemus is he's trying to understand it completely from a physical standpoint. And he's having a dialogue and Jesus tells him the same thing that John tells us. Listen, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus poses this question. He goes, how can man be born? He said, am I to go back to my mother's womb? And Jesus says, no, you need to be born of the spirit and of water. What was he talking about? We need to be baptized, but we have to have the regeneration of God in our lives. That there's a spiritual thing that happens when we surrender our life to Christ that we have to believe happens, if you will, in the cosmos that we can't explain, but we have faith that there's newness in our life. The old me has gone away. So to be born again I have to be born. He goes on John chapter 3, verse 6. And he says this. Finally, he gets to the point where he says, he looks at him, he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. He finally flatlines it, and he says, listen, if you're going to understand what I'm saying, you have to be born of the spirit. You have to be born again. You have to allow your life to be submitted and let God change your life. In the book by John Mark Comer, the book's entitled Say No Lies. And in there he has a great saying about the truth. He said the truth is simply this, what lines up with reality or reality itself. He said it's very simple, that's what truth is. Truth is reality or that which corresponds with reality. As I look at this, I see Jesus talking to Nicodemus and bringing him to a point of reality. Your reality, Nicodemus, is that you are not born again. And for you to understand the things that I'm trying to teach you, you must have a heart that is regenerated, that is born again. And this is nothing new. The, Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel talks about it like this, that he's going to put a new heart in us and a new spirit. And then we go on and we see the writings of Paul. We see that being born again is something that we, we find throughout the Scripture, but this is the difficulty about being born again. We come to that spot where we realize that we're not good enough. Have you ever been last on the playground to be chosen? All the kids are lining up and they're playing dodgeball, which we can't play anymore hardly in schools, but dodgeball or basketball, and you're the last one on the field. Look at your neighbor and just go, aw. I've done that before. Don't y'all feel sorry for me? I've chosen somebody last and I've been picked last. This does something to your psyche. <laughs> but this is the reality. It's that to really be born again, I come to the ends of my life and say, I'm just not good enough. That if I stand before God today and I do not have Christ in my life as my Lord and Savior, what I have done is not good enough because it's not based off of what I can do. It's not based off of works. It's based off of what Christ did in his precious blood. That's it. To truly be born again, I have a new found way of doing life. Paul puts it like this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The icing on the cake for me is Galatians chapter 20, or Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. 
This is what Paul's writing. I've been crucified with Christ. You see the death? I've been crucified with him. That means the old me is dead, and I've walked away from it. And what lives within him, he goes on to write, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. That's truly what it means to be born again. That there is a new spirit, that there is a new heart in me. That I have laid down my my desires. I have laid down what I need to lay down. That way I may pursue what God has told me to pursue. And if you're in that situation where you say, Matt, that's a hard ask. (laughs) Yes, it is. But I promise you, once you lay it down and you get on the other side, you never want to look back. And when those things entice you, you go back to the Word and you remember the promises of God. That no matter the situation I am, that it's for everyone. That I've been born again as a child of God. There's some things that we need to we do realize here in, in John chapter or 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. So if you go back just a couple verses. It explains that everyone who believes that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whomever has been born of him. So he gives us some red flags to help us understand that to truly know that I've been born again, I know that I'm in Christ, that I have put Christ center in my life. And I say, I chase you, Christ. See, the Holy Spirit won't reveal anything to us that's outside of Christ because that's the job of the Holy Spirit is to draw us close to Christ because the more like Christ we are, the more we please God. And the Holy Spirit does a couple things. The Holy Spirit shows us the separation between us and Christ, how he's different, and the Holy Spirit helps us understand how much we need Christ because of our insufficiencies. But it's not like a dagger in our heart Instead, it builds us up and edifies us that if we will do it, then God has those great promises for us. The last four weeks, we've been on a Holy Spirit sermon series. And I encourage you, if you haven't listened to it, please go back and listen to it. We need the Holy Spirit in our life. The guide, the comforter. Pastor Mike is gonna be speaking on the Holy Spirit tonight. And I encourage you, please come back, get all of it that you can. And say, Holy Spirit, what you wanna speak to me, guide me, show me, direct me. You don't wanna miss it. We have to have the Holy Spirit. It's what shows us, and the hardest part about being a Christian is the need for continual repentance. That we get off the path, we do things we don't need to, we have attitudes and situations, and it's the Holy Spirit, it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. That says, listen, those things that you wanna accomplish you cannot do in this trajectory. It doesn't mean we've left salvation, it just means that we're operating in the wrong way, in the wrong situation. And since the Holy Spirit is our God, the Holy Spirit will pull us back on path, but it can only happen if our spirit is regenerated, and the only way that we can be regenerated is if we're found in God through Jesus Christ, and whenever we're found in God, through Jesus Christ we become the overcomer that God has designed us to be and just not the meager things but we know we can overcome our enemy we can overcome the world and we can overcome ourselves. and we land on this last part here where John talks to us and we see the promise 1 John chapter 5 verse 4 for everyone that has been born of God overcomes the world and this the victory that has overcome the the world our faith we see that the promise is solidified. That the faith that we have is what overcomes the world because it's true faith in the truth in Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life is what Christ declares. 
So what I'm looking for and what I'm needing, I find in the faith through Jesus Christ. And then I have the promise of victory. And I want to encourage you, this faith that you have, trust me, we all wrestle with it. It's what keeps us up at night. In the wee hour of the morning, you're up and asking God, am am I praying like I need to? Am I seeking you like I need to? Father, you see this need over here in my family. You see this need in my community. You see this, and we grapple with it, and we wrestle with it. And listen, it happens to all of us. So don't feel like because you wrestle with your faith and you grapple with your faith and you don't understand everything that the world pours, that the word pours into your life, that you're some kind of, have some kind of deficiency or you're behind. Let me tell you, you're probably right where you need to be because God is revealing things and the more you seek him, the more you find him. But the more you have to overcome. But we overcome because we're found in God through Jesus Christ. And we have the promise of the victory. So I don't know what you're facing this morning. I don't know what you need victory over. I don't know what you need to be reminded of this morning that you are an overcomer. For some, this may be the first time or you've heard the salvation message a hundred times, but today is the day. Can I encourage you, don't white knuckle the pew. Submit yourself to Christ. Let him change your life. The reality of truth, of heaven and hell. But the reality of truth on earth, that I don't have to go swayed this way and that way, that I don't have to let fear and worry and doubt be my God, but instead the Holy Spirit, which is birthed in me and calls me to be a conqueror, calls me to be an overcomer, is what leads and guides and directs us. But for us as Christians, it's difficult. Many people find it easy to resist and set back as Satan and the enemy in the world pushes against us. But for us to overcome, we've got to push right back. You've got to pray for us. This next week is VBS. We plan on touching the lives of some children in our community, in our schools. And guess what? Our enemy's not going to like that. The world's not going to like that. And sometimes ourself will get in the way of that. But what I found out is whenever you're trying to take territory, you can expect resistance. How do I fight the resistance? I take the promise that I'm an overcomer. And the victory's mine because my faith is in Christ. Why? Because I've been truly born again. A new heart, a new spirit, a new life that's only found in Christ. It's not I that live, but Christ that lives within me. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you for your wonderful touch this morning, for your word. It's encouraging. It's encouraging to know that you have such a great destination for us. That our destiny that we find only in you is so great and so amazing. Father, this morning we celebrate being an overcomer. We celebrate the fact that we don't have to look any further, that Jesus is enough. And Father, with every head bowed, eyes are closed, neighbors are praying for one another, people on the other side of whatever device they're streaming by, if they have not made that declaration of total surrender, of truly being born again, that it's not a thought, it's not an ideology, but this is a lifestyle. For the young person 
for the middle-aged person, for the child, for the elderly who may be thinking, I want to walk out of here with pure confidence knowing that I've given my life to Christ and this, I've, I've been born again. Father, you're sitting there with your arms open. You want them to come to you. Christ, and we thank you for that. And as you sit there in your seat, wherever it may be, you can have that absolute confidence this morning. Putting your hope and your faith in Christ and then following Him. Salvation is not merely something that I have to know that I need to do. It's something that I must do. So Father, right now we war in the Spirit in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that if there be anybody that would be in the room or listening that have, have maybe thought that salvation is just knowing that they need Christ but they've never surrendered right now, we go to war for them. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would enlighten their heart. We pray that your Spirit would just do what your Spirit does and draw them and they'd give you their heart and their mind. And today would be the day for them. Father, for my brother or sister has committed their life to you. They know they've been born again. This message has encouraged them because they know that they can be an overcomer because they're found in you and you alone. God, I don't know what they face. I don't know their situation, whether it be relational, whether it be marriage, whether it be business, whether it be just simply family members and friends that they're just drawn unto trying to reach for your kingdom. Father, that they would be encouraged. And if they walked in today thinking, I don't know if I can do this, that they would walk out of here infused with your spirit, reminding them that they are overcomers. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of you. We have access. It's a title. This morning, as you sit in your seats, I want to prepare you. Here in a moment, we're going to ask you to come forward. For some, you need to leave your seats because it could be the very first step of you saying, this is the change. For some, you may decide to pray with your spouse in your seat, and that's fine. But maybe you need prayer, and you say, I want to link arms. There's some family situation. There's some different stuff. Let's go to war because we're an overcomer. We've got prayer warriors down here that want to pray with you. But if it was you today and saying, tonight, today I submitted my life to Christ. We want to know about that. We want to help you. We want to encourage you. In this same spirit, would you stand up all across the auditorium? Right now, our altar workers are going to move forward. And they're going to come down to the front. What they're doing is they're allowing you to know that they want to be down here to pray with you. And right now, you need to slip from your seats and come down and join them. Whatever you may need prayer over, we want to give you opportunity. We're not here to judge. Let's bow our heads so that we can give people time to slip out. Father, we're not looking around. We want to encourage people to come down to the front. Father, whether it be for their marriage, whether it be for salvation, I encourage you to be released from your seats right now. They're waiting to pray with you. You are an overcomer.
As some make their way down, I'm going to ask for four or five others. Come lay your hands on somebody's shoulder here. Some of you guys that know how to pray, just be dismissed. We need about 20 or so just to come down here. Lay your hand on the shoulder. Pray with them. We don't like anybody to be alone. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and what's happening at the altar. I thank you for what's happening in the seats as I see men and women hold hands, as I see youth hold hands, and we pray for each other and we lift each other up. Father, we don't know what everybody faces, but we do know that we are overcomers in you. So Father, whatever situation, whatever circumstance, we just simply speak that title, that we're an overcomer. Because we're found in you. So we accept that. We walk in that. We thank you for what's happening at the altar, God. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you're doing in the seats, God. You know the different needs that are represented in the building. Whether it be physical or financial or emotional, God. And those are very important to you. And God, where, where, where healing is needed, I pray that you give healing, God. Where direction is needed, I pray that it would be clear and concise, God. Clear as the sun setting and the sun rising. Father, that you would give them favor with family members and friends. Father, thank you that we're overcomers. And Father, we just celebrate that right now. With our hands lifted and our voice lifted, thank you that you've allowed us to be overcomers, that we get to walk in your light. That, Father, the enemy doesn't have to win, the world doesn't have to win, and ourselves, God, but you win alone. Thank you for letting us be found in you. God, let your face shine upon the many people in this congregation. Let us go out and be the light that you've created us to be. Let us do it with boldness, God. Let us do it with passion. Let us do it with the fervor that we're in love with our God. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.